0: What is up ladies and gentlemen, happy freaking monday i hope you all had a great weekend and uh, you know it's memorial day and i want to take a take a minute to thank everyone who served uh currently serving uh for their sacrifice the time the effort and uh, the lives given in uh, in service of keeping us safe and uh and happy and healthy on the home front you know recently uh i've been thinking about ted talks i've had a, a couple people ask you know if i were ever to give a tech talk what would i give it on and the one thing that i keep coming back to is uh is sharing what i have learned uh, you know, around this podcast. And, uh, you know, in the vein of, uh, of appreciation and remembrance, uh, I honestly, I, I would wholeheartedly uh, speak to this community and uh, the people that I've gotten to know over the past year, what I've learned, and uh, honestly, just so much about opening up and leaning on those those around you and, uh, being, uh, being able to speak in full transparency and honesty and, uh, really understanding what a true friend looks like. So, uh, in remembrance of today for those who, uh, those who might need it, uh, remember that there are folks indeed around, uh, that do care and want to see you uh, happy, healthy and uplifted. So, but as we, uh, you know, get into today's episode, uh, I, I really do encourage you all to reach out if you need it or, uh, lean on those around you, or honestly, if I can help get connected, get you connected in some way, shape or form. So, So, but like I said, as we go into a new week, uh, I can only imagine uh, the pick-me-ups y'all are going to need. So uh, do me solid. Uh, Use uh, code Vanguard for, uh, 20% off, uh, black rifle coffee, uh, snag some power llama or uh, blackbeard's delight. Uh, maybe even some cold brew because it's, it's about camping season. It's getting there. So, uh, whatever you're up to, uh, do it with all the caffeine, be sure to use uh, code Vanguard. Um, but otherwise without further ado, enough chit chat, let's roll an awesome episode with Mr. Jared of ones ready. <laughs> What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I hope you all are having a great... I guess it's mon- it'll be Monday by the time this thing publishes. But I hope you're having a great Monday morning. Uh, I'm super excited because uh, Mr. Jared and I are recording. Uh, it's early for me. I think you're a couple hours ahead. But it's like 8 a.m. I got my coffee ready to go. I got a, a day full of shooting ahead. So I'm kind of excited to get up and get, get ready for it. But I'm excited to chat with you, man. We got kind of connected through Trent and... Uh, I'm really excited because I was like, hey, Trent, I'm fishing for good people to go to go harass. Who, who should I go talk to? And he's like, Jared and Aaron, Jared and Aaron right out of the gate. Like, I mean, it was like <laughs> no delay, but I'm excited, man. Um, you know, maybe not to steal your intro. Uh, do you mind kind of just sharing a little bit about yourself? And uh,
1: we'll, we'll start the conversation off that way. Yeah, man. Well, I've I've actually got you beat because I'm in the Pacific timeline I'm up, up in Washington. So oh. uh so, <laughs> so it's but, early, early for Yeah. You. <laughs> so it's it's yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of a, a morning person or early bird. So like this is normal for me. I've been up for about an hour and a half already. So um, but still on the first coffee. But anyway, uh so <laughs> So, Jared Petrus, uh, most people know me by Peaches. Uh, it's just one of those nicknames that kind of happen to you. At selection uh, that's supposed to be degrading and all that kind of stuff. Yet it just kind of uh, one of those things where you embrace it and it sticks. Um, I am a Air Force combat controller. I've been doing this for, I'm in my 23rd year now. Uh, it started when I was 17, yeah. um, went through the two and a half year pipeline. And been doing this ever since uh probably have a couple more years left in me before the air force finally says hey it's time for you to bounce which i'm also not trying to make uh, a 30-year airman if you will um, <laughs> yeah you know but yeah so been doing that um, you know been all around the world it's been a great time wouldn't trade it for anything met some amazing people amazing places amazing experiences um even the good good, bad, and the ugly of those. So, um, and now we've obviously got our podcast as well, the ones ready podcast. And so enjoying doing that on kind of the off time.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm not very familiar with kind of the combat controller world. So I think part of part of what I'll probably ask is similar to what you do with ones ready. But what what I try and do, kind of, with my podcast is to tell your story, right? So, kind of, how yeah. you got into the Air Force, you know, why why the Air Force, why a combat controller. So, if you don't mind, maybe starting going back to the beginning. Did you grow up in a in an Air Force military family? Did you always were you a troublemaker and you didn't find
1: a way out? I mean, how did the Air <laughs> Force come come to be for you? Um, well, I, I guess I came from a military family. My parents were not military, um, but my grandfather on my mother's side. And then my older cousin, uh, who was older than me, and my uncle on my mother's side, was uh, both Marines and Navy. So there was that aspect. My older cousin was, uh, I think, four years older than me. So it was one of those things where I always looked up to him, and he joined the Marines to be an F-18 pilot. So funny enough I was like okay cool like I loved hearing the stories from from ROTC and his cadet training and all that kind of stuff it's like well this sounds awesome and I don't want to do something where I'm bored because I'm I'm very much a busybody, probably on the ADHD thing (laughs) but uh, like I I just I have to be doing something sitting idle really really bothers me so um I was like, well, I want to do something cool. And I was always outdoor team sports, the the whole deal. And and I always liked skydiving and diving. I had never done it, but I was like, yeah, I want to do that kind of (laughs) stuff. So, um, I went to a recruiter and he told me about PJ and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. That sounds great. And it, at the time, you know, it was the, the trifold pamphlet. That's all they knew. And all it was, was PJ. There was no, you know combat control or anything like that. Um and I kept that pamphlet pristine. I'd always open it, and look at it because I was I was guaranteed diving, guaranteed to jump and skydive, guaranteed to ride motorcycles, shoot guns, all that kind of stuff. Um, so everything that I really wanted. And medicine interests me. I'm I'm not big into medicine. Even at the time I wasn't big into medicine, but I didn't know that combat control even existed. Sure. So uh and this was as uh, at the age of I think 15. And then So natural progression, I was like, okay, well, I'll do high school, junior ROTC. I I lasted two days and I didn't appreciate getting yelled at by people that (laughs) I'm no kidding in class with. Like this is because they were just acting like pricks sure, um, just to do it. And I was like, okay, well, that's it. And then everybody, my whole family and friends were like, okay, well, the military is definitely not for him. (laughs) Um, Two years of maturity came in 17 went through and then that's where i found out that um, there were other things Uh, i met in doc at the time it was uh in doc or indoctrination course and it was just pjs and combat controllers going through it the selection and i'm like well who are these combat controllers i've never heard of these guys um and so this is one of those things during a hell week they you know you're going through all these different events but there is some downtime but the downtime is i'm just keeping you awake so we got to find things for you to do sure uh, one of them was sitting through a brief of because they basically said, "Hey, who you know who knew about PJs? Who knew about combat controllers coming in? You know, just to get you know, canvas how the recruiting efforts are going." Yeah, and uh, and hardly anybody knew what combat control was or had even heard of it except for the the handful of guys that were had joined to do that.
0: Right.
1: Um. And so basically, they gave us a brief, showed radio, showed um, airfield lighting, showed, you know, cast, close air support, bombs dropping, all that kind of stuff. And they said, okay, cool. Well, this is your one opportunity, because we don't usually do this. Who wants to swap jobs from being a PJ to a combat controller? <laughs> and m- more than half the class said, I want to go be a combat <laughs> controller, to include myself. So that was, that was the point where I became a combat controller
0: that's funny all or at right at least went
1: down that path anyway yeah
0: that's cool so maybe a couple questions thinking about it so and I'm, I'm gonna ask these questions kind of in the vein of again kind of like we were talking similar to ones ready like if there's a kid out there that's that's thinking about this and am like man like i don't like the jr otc i'm getting yelled at by kids with me yada yada right I mean, you said that you hadn't skydived or really done of any of the adrenaline sports, but knew that you wanted to. Why is that? Like, why? How did you know that that was something that that
1: attracted you? Because I enjoyed anything adrenaline based. Like me and my friends, we'd go out on bikes, we'd build the ramps, we'd go down steep hills, uh, skiing, snowboarding. Um, you know, bad enough we go bridge jumping. You know where off the highway into a lake, yep. you know, where, where you had to make sure that you were, you were between the, the, the two markers on the bridge so that there was nothing in the water. I'd sit there and I think about that now going like, Holy shit, that was dumb. But, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, we, we go bridge jumping. we go, we just go do um, fun things that, and I was like, well, this, obviously the next progression is going skydiving and and i enjoyed shooting guns because i did shoot a little bit nothing crazy but i did shoot a little bit so i knew that shooting guns was was there and you know some of my favorite movies were you know die hard lethal weapon <laughs> uh obviously very very true to life uh movies
0: 100 <laughs>
1: right <laughs> everybody needs a martin riggs out there
0: that's awesome. All right so then when you decided kind of down the the Air Force path this is this is kind of an interesting question too because like I know some guys know inherently right like Air Force family, family did it, this is what I want to do versus like kind of shopping around more or less right because whenever I think of like because I've been to recruiting offices right and it's you've got the strip mall and you can pick whomever you want to go talk to I mean did you go straight to the Air Force and say, hey dude, you know, PJs, what I want to do kind of in the initial start, or did you shop around?
1: It wasn't too, I mean, I guess I shopped around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember how I ended up in the air force recruiting office. Um, I do know that some of my coworkers said, Hey, well, if you want to go jump out planes, army is definitely a way to go. And one of the ladies wives or um, yeah, one of the ladies husbands was uh, a ranger. And so, and she's like, he jumps out of planes and he shoots guns. I was like, okay, well, I'll tell you what, just, I don't think that's the way I want to go, <laughs> but uh, I'll go check out the army. And I went to the army recruiter and I basically, he, surprisingly he was actually very honest with me. Um, he did. I mean, obviously he's a salesman, so he is trying to sell me on stuff, but I was like, Hey man, I want a guarantee. I go to airborne. A guarantee I go to free A guarantee that I go to, um, scuba school, yeah. because that's what the Air Force provided. If you were going to be a PJ or combat controller, you were guaranteed those things. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's like, "Look, man, I can I can pretty much guarantee you you'll go to airborne school, but because so much so much of the Army automatically goes to airborne school. But he goes, I can't guarantee anything else. He goes, I can make I, we can get you to Ranger school. We can get you to airborne. You can be a Ranger if you go to free fall or dive after that. Like that's on you." Um, and so I, I, wanted a guarantee and like I said, I don't remember what it was that put me in the air force recruiting office. Cause he was actually separated. They don't have the kind of strip mall or back in, in 98, 99, they didn't have the kind of strip mall things, or at least where I was at in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. So they weren't right next door to each other. So I had to travel a, a decent distance to get the one of them. So I don't remember what put me in that. A lot of things are foggy now. After a couple of TBIs, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So you make it, in, or you choose the Air Force, right? And uh, you start working through the pipeline. You choose combat controller, right? And like I said, I've got no, you know, military law enforcement experience. So this is kind of fun. But going through kind of the whole process of it, what's your what's your mentality and kind of driving force? Are you thinking, hey, I'm doing this for me to be a badass? Hey, I'm working through it. I mean, what kept you, what got you up in the morning and working through all of the training? Cause it's a, what, two year pipeline. I think I heard you say.
1: Yeah. I mean, not, and not all of it is uh, a kick in the nuts or anything like that. It more of it is than not, but it's tough because I was 17, right? I, I was severely homesick. I had never really truly been away from home for longer than, you know, two weeks at a time. Um, I grew up in an amazing family. You know, I, I my mom and dad were fantastic. My brother, fantastic. So like, it's not like I came from a, a life of hard knocks or anything like that. We weren't well off or anything, but like, I had a solid family foundation. Everybody talked, we didn't have any family drama or anything like that. So, uh, and my, my reasoning for getting up and motivation probably changed throughout the pipeline, but for sure, it was the, for me, I, t- I told everybody, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And I did not want to have to go back to them and say, hey, I quit. Mm-hmm. Um, if If I had failed because of I couldn't do enough pull-ups or push-ups or swam fast enough or whatever it was, then I could probably sleep a little better at night with that, but the going back to everybody that I told, this is what I'm going to do. And there's nothing that's going to stop me to go. Hey, yeah, things got a little hard. I quit. Um, that didn't sit well with me. So, but they, I mean, I'd be lying if I said there weren't some days that, because you you during that training, there are some people that excel. Like there are some people that you think, or you observe and you're like, they are so solid in the pool. Or they are so solid at running or whatever it is like they're never stressed during it which a lot of cases that that is or a lot of times that is the case but when the instructors see that you are kind of coasting through events they recognize that and they will go okay well today i'm going to test you because they want to see how you act when you are pushed mm-hmm. and and there were days where I, because I, the pool was always a very strong part for me. I was never the, the strongest because there were some people that were amazing in the pool. Yeah. But I was very comfortable in the pool. And there were days that they were like, all right, well, and they don't tell you this. They don't tell you today's your day. You just know. You're <laughs> like, oh, man, I can't, I can't do anything right. Uh, you know, no matter what, I know I'm doing it right. And I can't do anything right. And for whatever reason, they are picking on me. <laughs> And um, and there were some times where I was like, dude, I I don't know that I'm going to make it out of this, you know, but again, that's the that's the 17, 18 year old mentality talking. That's why when people people come to us and they ask, hey, um, I'm 25 years old do you think I even have a chance or I'm way too old? I'm like, dude, you're going to have an easier time than the 17, 18 year old. Yeah. You're a little bit older, but you're still physically in your prime. You'll be able to recover just fine. And, but you have so much life experience and maturity level and your frontal lobe is fully developed. Now we're almost there, you know, like you will do so much better.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So in those, in that kind of instance, right i'm hearing at least i think i'm hearing the what kept you going right was really the fear of failure right not wanting to own kind of like hey it got tough i quit Mm -hmm. right but then also kind of understanding uh how you function under pressure
1: yeah because the if you equate it and we and we always would equate it and the instructors did a good job about this too because a lot of times when you're in the suck you don't you're like okay, well, well, why do I need buddy breathing? You know, and are, are you familiar with what buddy breathing is? Uh, no. Okay, so buddy breathing is um, where you have you and a buddy, like you're you're linked up. You know, Arnold, Arnold in uh, in Predator. You know, Dylan, you son <laughs> of a bitch. Like you're linked up like that, and you you're sharing a snorkel. You have one snorkel between the two of you, and you're going back and forth. You know, one or two breaths, one or two breaths, and you just continue going back and forth. And then you have one or two instructors that actually are providing harassment for you. Now, some of that is a lot of splashing. Some of that is no kidding, capping the snorkel to, to taking breaths. So you go to to get a breath, and you got nothing. Yeah, like you know. So there's a couple different training um, or mentalities in that that equate to operational and training environments, actually. Um, but it's, it's harassment and it freaks people out because you expect to get a breath and you don't get it. So now it goes off to your buddy. You don't, you come here and you, I think, I can't remember how many breaths, I think the max breaths they could take were two. Mm-hmm. So like, again, and you're, you're panicking, you're getting rolled that like they gator roll you and, and mm-hmm. you're in water everywhere in your mouth and everything like that. And that translates to a couple different things. Operationally one is when you're scuba diving or whether it's a closed circuit or an open circuit, sometimes you will run out of air or maybe you you have something that's fouled and a hose or regulated and working and you need to be able to breathe and you can't necessarily come to the surface or you're in a spot where you're inside a, a structure or a sunken vessel and you can't just come up to the surface, <laughs> right? So you need to be able to, tap your buddy and you guys need to be able to share the regulator or share the the breathing apparatus and make it to a safe, safe place. Um, Or it could be underneath a CV 22 or a CH 47 or an MH 47, where there's a lot of rotor wash and down pressure. And there's, you know, it's just, it's tough to see. It's tough to breathe. It's at night. Your, your snorkel is getting filled up with water. So again, you're getting breaths taken away. Or it could be you're in really, really choppy sea conditions and the sea state is is terrible and you're getting, you know, um, these sea swells are dunking you under and it just can be made for a really bad environment. So the things that you don't know when you're in training because you've never experienced and you're like, why would they ever do this to <laughs> us? What, what does this have to do with anything? They're just doing it to be mean. No, there are operational um, reasons to put you through this because you can't quit out there. Like if you're out in the middle of the ocean and the sea state is bad, you, there's no like, hey, let me get on the boat. I'm I'm done. No, you just die. <laughs> right? like, it's
0: that simple. <laughs> I mean, it's
1: you know, you either make it and you you survive and you do well, or you die. Like it's so. We want to push people to the point where. And I do the same thing whenever I do um, like joint. Are you familiar with what joint terminal attack controllers are? We're we're the guys that talk to airplanes, talk to the ground force as part of the ground force, and then we we nominate and recognize targets and call in airstrikes and targets. Mm-hmm. Well, same kind of thing. As an instructor, when I build scenarios for that, I don't want to make them easy. Now, when they're when they're first starting out learning, yeah, I'm make them easy. But if somebody is uh, about to get their qualification, or they—it's um, their time for me to really pressure them. I create a such an intricate scenario um, where there's, you know, people are shooting at us and this kind of—not actually shooting at us, but you know, using simulation uh, like simulation. sim rounds yeah. or or paintballs or something like that. And then we're throwing ground burst simulators right near them. We're making them run, and I create that scenario. So difficult expecting them to fail so that as they're going through it, they know where their limit is, their, their experience limit, and they know how to cope with that. And they know at what point, all right, I'm becoming overwhelmed. I recognize that I need to figure something out. Yeah. So I like, I almost in a way, I want them to fail or at least come very close to failing.
0: Okay. So when it comes to the scenarios and I was taking notes, kind of thinking about this too. I mean, when you're building out these scenarios, are you leveraging just personal experience, training experience? Have you studied like the psychology of people in kind of pressure tested environments? I mean, how do you go about building these scenarios?
1: Well, for me, uh, I use personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have now, now that we have, um, Psychologists and operational psychologists in our in our units, like we will take them and help and and use them to help craft scenarios and craft training events. Um, at times, if that's the kind of goal that we're looking for. Um, other than that, other than that, like I just use personal experience or experiences that I know of of friends that have been in those kind of situations. Go okay, well you know, and I'm not calling them that and I'm not telling them that like, Hey, I'm going to put you in the same scenario that Rob Gutierrez was in. It's, I'm just going to, here's a scenario and we're going to play it out as, as similar as I can um, just to see how you do. And so it, it not only helps them see where their failure points are, but it also builds their confidence and going, Holy shit, I just made it through all that. Like that's, That's pretty cool. And you can you can just see it in their face and their confidence level, how much they improve.
0: So when you were going through this and kind of on a personal note, the confidence level, how did you kind of craft your mentality to the point where you could kind of make it through? Because like to me, I'm not a water person. I absolutely hate being in the water like and hearing, you know, being rolled in the water, get rolled getting splashed, getting, you know, suffocated more or less to me that that honest to God sounds like a nightmare, right? Like, (laughs) like, like, how did you get to the point like kind of develop yourself to the point where it's like, yeah, I I understand that I'm being pressure tested. It's fine. I'm not going to die. But I understand like, that this is for a purpose. And I need to kind of control myself. How did you learn that self control is my short answer question?
1: Well, self control in the water is uh, so I grew up on or I, I, I think I did two years of swim team and I grew up as a water baby. Like my dad took me into the pool when I was three weeks, four weeks, something like that. So I've, I've just been in the water my whole life. Doesn't mean that there weren't times where it was like, oh, my God, this, this is crazy. <laughs> um, how do you calm yourself down? That's tough. I, and I think I think everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, I guess for me, it was recognizing like, Hey, freaking out right now is not going to help me. I'm, and I didn't have this confidence at the, at, you know, 17, 18 years old, but more, but I definitely have it now. It's like, okay, I can recognize, I can slow it down, slow my heart rate down. I can slow my breathing down. And I just, I just relax and go like, man, I'll crush this. And it's, it's a mentality thing. Like, like. I have the mentality that I can do anything. I may not be good at it, um, but I can do anything. It, and it comes across to other people. And, and definitely at my age and my my rank, I have I have toned that down. But a lot of a lot of people in the Air Force and, and in the, the special operations community in general think that we're a bunch of arrogant assholes because um, you know w- we think we can do anything. We think we can take on the world. Um, and that kind of stuff. And some of that's good. Some of it's bad. Um, but you also don't want somebody coming through a door, doing a raid or doing a hit or in some other situations that are second guessing it and going like, "Oh, I don't know if I can make it through this, you know, because then that person has already failed. That person is already not going to make it. You want somebody who's like, dude, I don't care. I, I will win this fight. Yeah. I will win, I will make it through this and I will crush this thing. You want somebody that has that confidence and that again, not arrogance, but that to be overly confident. Yeah. To believe that they can make it through whatever it is you throw it at them or throw at them. Yeah.
0: So in your tenure, right? How how did you learn to balance arrogance versus confidence versus um, I don't want to say complacency, but like kind of just knowing that you can do it and maybe not putting forth 100% effort, if that makes sense.
1: Humility. I I have been humbled so many times, uh, both, you know, by experience, by, um, you know, somebody telling, not somebody telling me to be humble, obviously, you know, hey, yeah, you guys should be humble, kind of thing, but more of just a Uh, I've just been humbled so many times um, by my own mistakes, by my own doing doing good. And at the same time, seeing how when I think I'm good and then I see somebody else do it so much better than me going like, well, all right, well, I've, I've just now been humbled. So but, you know, the humble thing that a lot of people think is is I just need to self deprecate. I need to think shitty about myself. And that's not it at all. Like you can be, you can think that you're badass at something and still be humble. You can recognize like, hey, I'm actually really good at this. Like yeah. for me, um, I think I'm good at networking, right? I've been, t- I've been told over and over and over again, I enjoy networking. Um, I enjoy meeting new people. Um, and that's fine. Like, hey, I'm, I'm good at it. I'll take that. And I say it with as much humility as I possibly can um, but it's okay to recognize that you're good at something. You can still be humble and recognize you're good at something. As long as I'm not freaking telling everybody, "Hey, I'm amazing at this. I got this." It's like, yeah, man, I, I'm good at it, and that's the last you're going to hear about it if you even hear about it, right? I probably don't even need to tell you, yeah. you know, not not you, but and you know, and I realize, I, I, I yeah. yeah, I acknowledge, <laughs> I acknowledge that I just said that on a podcast with thousands of people listening. So, like, I got it, but. Um, but I just wanted to use that as an example. Like you'll never hear me say that. Like in person, anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So, like I was telling you, Kenan, when we first started, I'm not I'm not very familiar with what combat controllers do. And I probably should have asked this a little bit, kind of leading into the training. What exactly do you guys do?
1: So we are the the special operations land component for the Air Force. Okay. Is essentially what we are. So if you, if you just like the Navy SEALs are the, the special war or the special uh, operations force for the Navy, mm-hmm. we are that for the air force. Um, we, we belong to the air force, but we also fall under special operations command. So it's, it's kind of a weird um, and man to, to, to describe the, the uh, and I'm trying not to use acronyms here (laughs) to to describe the command relationship between air force air force special operations command special operations command and then all the other ones would be very confusing like you almost need a a diagram like a visual diagram (laughs) but so like it's almost like our our mom is air force okay our dad is special operations command like the Air Force pays us, gives us everything that we need uh, in terms of like, you <laughs> know, <my> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, your basic necessities and assignments and um, all that kind of stuff. And then Socom or Dad is the one that tells us like, hey, you guys go do this, you guys go do this, do this. Now that that doesn't mean that there aren't things that the Air Force tells us that there are or tells us or asks us to go do because mm-hmm. they they do, but. Um, we, we primarily fall under Special Operations Command and we dive in on those tasks and requirements that SOCOM uh, needs. And then you have your Air Force Special Operations Command that falls under. It's one of the subcomponents to Special Operations Command. And that's the same as nav- Naval Special Warfare, um, Army Special Forces, Rangers, and you know Marine Special Operations.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay, so the land component, then you guys are not flying, more of the, um, I guess, insert, killer capture, um, calling airstrikes, I guess.
1: Well, a little so bit you, of you, all you, of it. Yeah, so there's three, at least right now, and I'm, I'm speaking for right now because we are constantly involving, like, what special tactics was the Air Force special tactics was two two years ago mm-hmm. isn't what it is today. Okay, and it like we seem to be in a, a constant evolution, and it's usually about every two years. Um, and it's not sometimes it's not, or sometimes it is major changes. Sometimes it's just slight, and, and that's not just us. That's that's every special operations component, but. Um, So we have three primary mission sets that we go off of. We have global access, we have precision strike, and then we have personnel recovery. Each special tactics unit is comprised of a couple of different air force specialty codes or jobs. Like you have your combat controllers, you have your pararescue men, you have your special reconnaissance airmen and you'll have your TACP airmen or your tactical air control party. Right? So Each one of those has a role in global access, precision strike and personnel recovery. So global access, uh, you can think about landing planes on dirt strips or on highways. And like we landed uh, a 10s in Estonia on a highway, we land C one thirties and C 17s on dirt strips out in the middle of nowhere. Um, You know, we, we sent guys into Haiti and Puerto Rico, to help clear out that airport and start bringing in medical supplies and stuff like that, so we do that in a humanitarian aspect, mm. and we do that in a in a combat or in an operational um, aspect. Uh, global access also, you know, includes drop zone surveys, HLZ surveys, um, full spectrum surveys. Like it, it's funny because global access is is very much a a nebulous kind of term because sure. it can mean there are so many different things or routes that it could go. Uh, then the precision strike is just like you would, you would think it's um, precision strike or precision fires onto targets, uh, whether it's lethal or non-lethal or kinetic or non-kinetic. And it's generally calling an airstrike. That's, that's what everybody kind of equates it to, but there are other aspects that are, are more on the classified side that would uh, eat, fall into that realm. Okay. And then and then we have personnel recovery. So we, you know, it's primarily a PJ mission, but combat controllers and, and SR and TACPs have um they have roles in that as well, but personnel recovery is, you know, rescuing people, whether that's search and rescue, whether it's confined space, swift water rescue, anything like that, you know, providing uh, any kind of aid and that kind of stuff, getting people out. Uh, like we have a uh, one of the guard units has Callie, the, the SAR pup she's mm-hmm. on, uh, she's on Instagram. She's, you know, she's always out there. She was up in what was the Tennessee where the tornadoes were
0: uh, a couple of
1: months ago something like that. I think it was Tennessee. I don't remember. Kentucky. I know there were some
0: in Texas just a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so they deploy her out there all the time because she, or to, to those kind of events, because she's really good at going and finding people and the amount of of square footage or the the amount of city blocks that she can cover would take a team of people like weeks to do. And she can just so that falls into the line of personnel recovery. And there's a lot of aspects of that. So we kind of bend our capabilities into those three and then we go go from there.
0: Okay. And I imagine this is what you guys talk a lot about in Ones Ready, right? You focus a lot on these types of questions.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a mixture. Like we've done a couple deep dive series to try and get that information out there because mm. it it can be difficult when you and and you saw me kind of struggle with it on this is like, Hey, what is, what is global access? Well, man, there's so much to it Depends on the day. (laughs) Right. So like when we did those episodes, you know, we actually had, we, we spent like a week writing out like, Oh yeah, we do this too. Oh yeah. There's, this is part of it. (laughs) You know? So when it's just coming off the top of your head, you're like, well, okay, when we do this, we do that. Uh, anything else? No, that sounds good. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, for the, for the ones ready podcast, The intent was to, there was so much information out there. Like there's, there really is. If you, if you go look for PJ combat controller, SR and and so on, there's so much information out there and a lot of it doesn't get updated. So there's a lot of old information, you know, from websites or blog posts, something like that. Somebody will read it and not look at the date and it's 10 years old. Um, So things change. So we said, okay, well, we want to get, provide relevant and correct data out there, you know, for people that want to come do aspect or Air Force Special Warfare. So that's, that's the whole premise of it. And then it's, it's kind of evolved and it's, it's still that, um, that way when there's changes, like we, we do a, an episode immediately and we'll, we'll put the new information out there. Um, some of it's leadership, some of it's mentorship, some of it's just getting, kick-ass people on to talk, you know? Um, and then the other part about it is that since we're all active duty still, um, we're not necessarily walking a line, but we're, we want to be respectful of our teammates. Like, so some of the people at the, the 330th recruiting squadron are controllers, PJs, SR tech P's that are my friends and if I were to put out bad information or if I were to put out information that I'm privy to before they want it released, like I've got to be, or we have got to be cognizant of that and respectful of that. So a lot of times there's information that we know that we, we know it's going to go live, but we just out of respect, we're not saying anything about it because I'm not trying to dime out my teammates, you know?
0: Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. I can imagine that being a fine line to walk. Right. I mean, it's like, you want to get it out there to help people out,
1: but at the same time, it's like, I can't screw over everybody. (laughs) Yeah. And part of it is it, it changes too. Like, I'm I'm sure people are like, my God, like how can things change that fast? And that is one of the beauties of the special operations community, like across the board is that, you know, the the Army, the Navy, Marines, Air Force, these are massive ships that, you know, think of it as an aircraft carrier, that it takes a while to turn these big ships, Like, right? If there's a threat or, or something that needs change, it, you can't just turn that thing like you do a jet ski. That thing takes a while to turn. Whereas, you know, the special operations community is a, a much smaller force. It is a smaller, you know, Marine craft, if you will, Mm -hmm. and we can turn a lot faster. And and so that's why we evolve so quickly and things change so quickly. It's not because we can't make up our minds. It's because we are evolving to um, emerging threats. We're environment funding, you know, a new, a new commander, new uh, senior enlisted. Like it's just, we're constantly um, adjusting however we need to go because now there's a new threat on the horizon. So now we need to focus on that.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. I mean, like I, at one point, you know, I kind of viewed being stagnant as dying. Right. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you don't, if you don't change, if you don't learn, if you don't grow, if you don't accept fault or failure, right, where it's due, then you're not making literally any progress. So, um, okay, so one question I've got, and it's kind of, I think this one will be kind of fun, but what for you is the most satisfying part of your job? Because it sounds very dynamic, very busy, and, like, other than the water portion,
1: jumping, shooting, in,
0: like, all of it sounds like a whole hell of a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I've been doing it for 23 years now, so I'm in the the rank and the position now where I am not doing that that much mm-hmm. like that. That's just the reality of it. Um, because as you, as you make rank, as you progress, you seem to do less and less of the team guy stuff, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, but it's also equally important if you will. Um, but if I had to nail it down to one thing, I would say the people think mm-hmm. like that the people are what make this job um, worth coming in for every single day. And that's not just the operators that is, you know, our, our combat mission support as well, because they, you have phenomenal people that want to get the mission done. They want to do good uh, and, and they want to make a difference. So, and I, you know, I've seen some people do some incredible things in some real shitty situations. Um, when that, or, or, do things that they didn't have to do, but they did it because it was the right thing to do, even at their own sacrifice. So it, it's the type of people and the quality of people uh, that make this job for the last twenty three years worth doing. Okay. And I that probably sounds cliche because that's probably everybody's answer, but <laughs> it's it's the God it like it, it's the truth. Like you just and I'm not talking about just an air force special warfare either. I'm talking about like the seals I've worked with the, the Marine Raiders I've worked with the, the army dudes. Like, it's just, there's just some good people out there. They really are. And um, yeah, you wouldn't, I wouldn't change it at all.
0: Yeah. That's a uh, very much what Aaron had said to, when I was talking to him, he was like, honestly, the, the community that I'm a part of is, amazing he's like it's just fun because on any given weekend we've got family barbecues families are watching out for each other i mean it's like quite literally like a tribe it really is
1: it's and when you're when you're on the outside of it it it, i imagine because i'm inside of it but on the outside i imagine that that's probably difficult to comprehend it's like dude it can't be that It can't be that good or it can't be that, you know, but it really is. And that's not to say that there aren't bad days, like, or that there aren't people that you just don't get along with because there are, you know, because we have, we have very strong personalities, (laughs) Um, you know, like, and I don't know how much Aaron dove into it, but like, you know, Aaron's got a very strong personality. Him and I are, are very different, but yet we're really good friends. You know, same with Trent, you know, you, you have three different personalities on there that are, that are all very different yet similar Mm -hmm. and that, and okay. So now you start throwing in an entire team and now there's a bunch of different personalities like that are all (laughs) very strong, all very like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to get after it. So it's, it's a fun place to be in. Um, and again, it wouldn't change it. <laughs> yeah, How
0: long did it take for you to kind of get used to that, right? Because like I'm used to working in, in teams like, you know, at work and obviously not in the same kind of dynamic world, right? So it's easy for me to like have very short kind of brief interactions. But having like, I guess, life, I'm going to say life-threatening interactions, right, with folks. How long did it take for you to get comfortable and familiar with like working with strong probably intense, aggressive personalities.
1: Um. Well, most, I mean, most of us aren't uh, aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, mo- most of us want to get after it. It's like, Oh, we're doing this. Yeah. Let's go. Hell yeah. yeah. You know, most of us aren't aggressive like going out and looking for a fight or anything like that. That's sure. not, but um. it's, it's weird because there's almost an inherent trust and, friendship that goes that's automatic Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it goes from having shared experiences because the one thing that we all have in common is the pipeline that we went through we all went through selection we all went through um, you know comic troll school parrot pj schoolhouse or you know stuff like that so we all know what each other went through so there's an automatic credibility that's there sure like hey I know you went through this so did I like there's, it's just, it's almost like the the base level of credibility is, is just higher than some, some rando I would meet off the street. Yeah. And I think that's one of the good things about the community and that, and that goes across the board um, with the entire soft enterprise. Right. But that's, um. I don't know at what point I got used to it. I don't even know that I needed to get used to it. I really, I really can't think of a a time. I just know that every time I show up to a unit, um, when I was a young, when I was a young dude and and nobody knew who you were, I was just automatically accepted in. Mm -hmm. It it was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that doesn't mean that when we go support a SEAL team or an ODA or something like that, like, we're still the outsider. We're still the Air Force guy. Okay. Yeah. We got an Air Force guy attached to us. If So we still have to earn our keep there. And we also still have to earn the credibility and the respect there. Um, because even if that, that team has had a, a combat controller with it and who have done really great, I'm now a new guy showing up, And now it's like, Hey, who's this, who's this nerd? I know that you're, I know that what you're supposed to be doing. Let's see how good you actually are. Let's see if you come out to the range shooting with us. Let's see if you just sit on your ass playing call of duty, or are you going to train your ass off with the rest of us? So it's part of that team integration, that kind of butt sniffing. And then once you are able to show them like, Hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a valuable member of this team. Then you're, you're brought into the fold.
0: Yeah. So you bring up a good point, right? Kind of proving. So I guess what I heard, right, was the inherent kind of trust, right? And shared experience, which I think is absolutely true, right? Like, I mean, I've got friends that it's like, hey, you know, might have we might have done a competition together or might have gone hunting, for instance, right? Where it's like, hey, I trust that you can do these things with me. And then like you know, thunderstorm. And again, not same type of intensity. Right. But it's like, you trust that they're not going to bitch out right on you. <laughs> um, what have you found has been maybe the most helpful thing for you in when you attach to some of these teams and uh, kind of proving,
1: I'm going to say proving your worth to them, if that makes sense. Uh, So humility, mm-hmm going in there, not talking about shit, just kind of, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be myself, but at the same time, I'm not going to um, I'm just going to kind of slowly integrate into the team. Um, anytime they're out shooting training, if there's work to be done, that like that's huge because out on a, on a Ford operating base, you know, you're, you're kind of out there as a team. Maybe you have a, maybe there's 50 people on the fob maybe. Right. And there's work that needs to be done. There's sandbags that need to be filled and fortification projects and that kind of stuff. You're not just sitting in your room. Like, you're not going like, Hey, that ain't me. I don't do that. That's bullshit. You're, you're putting in work where work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so not thinking that you're above any task or any person, you just go out there, you see work. you see a trash can that needs to be empty. You empty it. Like it's, a lot of time doing the menial tasks that can gain you a lot of credibility. Yeah. Okay. That's been my experience. And that, and that's what it would be for me. If I got a new guy that shows up to the unit, right. He shouldn't be walking by a trash can. That's, you know, got the mountain of it where you got to (laughs) balance, balance it or else the whole thing's going to topple over, you know, should be grabbing that. Um, And that that's regardless of rank. If, If you're you know, an E9 walking by a a filled trash can, you should be picking it, you should be taking the trash out, right? No one's above doing menial tasks, or things that, uh, you know, aren't that that aren't that fun. Yeah, okay.
0: So something that's uh, kind of near and dear to my heart is the mental health side of stuff. And I know, and we can absolutely defer, but I know that you had mentioned that you had, you know, TBIs, a couple TBIs and stuff. How have you managed kind of your experience, you know, civilian life or not civilian life because you're still active duty, but like normal person day to day life, you know, stacked up with everything that you've experienced. And that's that's a very loaded, open ended question. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys about stuff like this, you know, and, and it's my own OCD. Right. So it's like this is something that's always interesting for me to kind of talk about.
1: Um. So I have a lot of symptoms from TBI, like just in terms of fuzziness, memory loss, tendinitis, um, you know, the balance, the list goes on. I mean, I'm sure you've seen at least while we've been talking the way I blink sometimes, you know um, I, I know the people that are our YouTube definitely notice it because when I watch it and I'm going, golly, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, But in terms of like PTSD or anything like that, like I I don't have, or at least I don't think I have any of that. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a clinical, like I don't wake up in, in, you know, cold sweats or anything like that. And I don't have, you know, I've, I've experienced some bad things, but I don't dwell on them. I recognize them. And if I need to think about them, I'll think about them, reflect on them. But other than that, like I'm not, I'm not sweating them kind of thing. Okay. Um, maybe that's because I'm comfortable in the way that I perform during their situation. There is one situation that, uh, that I think I could have done better. And it's, it's one of those, um, survivor, survivor guilt uh, that I have just because I'm like, you know, now that I've gotten older and now that I can reflect and remember the situation, I'm like, man, I should have done this. I should have done this. Maybe I could have saved those kids. That kind of thing, Um, but other than that, I don't think I have anything crazy like PTSD related. Um, Like like I said, I could be wrong though. Not a psychologist.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I feel like that's like a skill, right? To be able to think about something. This is something that, like, I've learned personally. Right? Is so like I've got obsessive compulsive disorder. Right? Like I have a very hard time sometimes with very certain things that, like, I can't think about it objectively. Right. And I've had to learn to kind of sit with something and think about it and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. It's fine. It's not going to ruin my life. It doesn't control it, whatever the case may be. I feel like that's a skill kind of in your world, right? Where you can think about something, be comfortable in your performance, right? And not let it kind of dictate how you think. Is that something that you developed over time, kind of got help with, or just kind of an inherently knew how to do?
1: Man, that's that is so tough because I don't actually know the right answer. To that I don't know if that's something that I am predisposed to, or if that's a learned behavior. Because, like, uh, like your OCD is is probably rooted a lot in anxiety, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, I think it would be inaccurate and incomplete um, bullshit if I said I didn't have anxiety. Like, I think I. I would say like, from my perspective, I don't have anxiety at all. Like not, not a single ounce of it, which again, is probably inaccurate from a, from a psychologist's point of view, because like everybody at some point would have some kind of level of anxiety, but like, if I can't help the situation, why am I worried about it? Like I need to let it play out. Right. If, if there is something that I can do to lessen the blow or, to to avert the situation like that all right that's within my control and i can i can figure that out i can do something about it if i can't do anything about it why am i worried about it right um i mean it's just i like i said i don't, I don't know the right answer whether it was if i've just always been that I, I i'd like to think that i've always been this way i'm sure as a as a teenager I had some anxiety, you know, you know, Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me kind of thing. And, and, you know, well, I'll never, I'll never get another girlfriend. Oh God. You know, something like that. But I just, uh, I definitely think the pipeline uh, helped with that. Yeah. I I really do help manage, help to recognize a a very stressful situation and go, okay, you made it through that. That wasn't that bad. That kind of whole hindsight type, type deal. Um, but again, it's probably a mixture of pre- predisposition and learned behavior yeah. on my part.
0: I definitely think you're one of the lucky ones. I mean, if I if I was predisposed to that, life would have been a whole
1: hell of a lot. Of yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but the great thing is that there are there are tools and tricks and I, I don't mean just like therapy, like there are tools and tricks out there to help manage and mitigate anxiety, mm-hmm. whether it's. Anxiety uh, rooted in OCD or, or whatever, right? I mean, just training and working out uh, will do so much for people's mental health and anxiety because now there's there's a a place for that that energy to an outlet for it to go. Versus if you don't work out, and, and I know, uh, and working out is not the cure all for everything, but you're not going to get cured from anxiety. for the, for the folks out there, like that is with you for life. And, but you need to figure out a way to not let it cripple you. You need to figure out a way to manage it and mitigate it. And we found that working out and training is a great outlet for that and will help you. So if, if you're at a, if you're at a level of, uh, we'll just call it a hundred percent, you know, level hundred for anxiety, right. But, working out can get you to 75 level 75. Mm-hmm. You just, you just took a quarter of that away. You, you probably feel like like a million bucks if you can just take 25% of that anxiety away. Yeah. And just by going running three times a week or finding something that that's an outlet, it, you know, it goes, it goes to the folks that we we talk to on, on our podcast and they're like, Hey, I, I made, you know, I'm I'm stuck. I'm at a plateau, and I've only I've only gained you know five seconds off my runtime this week. And it's like, well, in a month, you know, in four weeks, that's twenty seconds off. You know, one percent improvement every month over six months is six percent. Like, and and you can keep doing that, and eventually you'll get to where you need to be. It, we're we're in very much in a society where things have to happen immediately. Yeah. And, and sometimes the goodness takes a, it's a slow burn, you know, it's a marathon. It takes a while to get there. Yeah. Again, not rooted in science at all. Just me.
0: <laughs> no, it's fair. It's fair. Cause like, I, I can relate to a lot of that, right? Like I know for me, right. That like I do the therapy and I've got prescriptions, right. Those things do help kind of keep me even keel, but that's like only part of the solution. Right. And then the rest of it, I've learned over the years, right, to your point, working out for me is a great way to kind of focus on a very specific thing, right, that helps build confidence, right, because that's one thing, right, that I think helps is, is working out and eating healthy, right, one, you're getting the right nutrients and exercise that your body needs, but also kind of on the mental aspect, it's like, hey, I'm performing an act, I'm doing something that I couldn't do yesterday, or doing something that is helping me that 1% next month that I can look back and be like, or, or you look at guys at the gym that are coming for the first time and you're like, I was that guy, you know, six years ago, like good on him for being here. Now I'm here. Right. It's, it's that, it's that kind of internal reflection. Right. So.
1: Oh yeah. And sleep too. Sleep is huge. And it's overlooked. Like people, people will stay up till 11, 11 o'clock midnight and then wake up, you know, at six and it's like, dude, you're not doing yourself any favors. I tr- like really, if it, if it weren't for, um, you know, family and all that kind of stuff and trying to spend time with my wife, like I'd probably be in bed at eight, eight 30 just, <laughs> just to get sleep. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and even now, like me and me and my wife, we, we try to be in bed by like nine 30.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. fair. Like that's just the reality. Now, can we have an excursion and go out and dinner and go party? It's like, sure we can, but, um, we both really appreciate being, being in our bed too. At bed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, maybe my, my last question is there, I guess, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you're like, man, this is, this is near and dear to my heart that I'd like to share that I don't get asked a whole lot. Oh man.
1: Uh, Super open-ended. That's very open ended and wasn't expecting it, so I don't have anything. Yes. Um, I don't have anything. Planned. I threw you for a loop. Nailed yeah. it. That was the goal. Okay. Um, I guess <laughs> t- take care of people. Really, like take care of people in your uh, span of care, span of control. Right. It's obviously your your family, your friends, people you work with take care of people. We we've gotten into a a point where um, we kind of write people off if we don't like their point of view. And it's unfortunate because they don't have that point of view because they're being malicious. Most of the time they have that point of view, either, either because they're misinformed or because they have a life experience that has helped shape the way that they're thinking and that so putting ourselves in their shoes like that's huge these days that we're, that nobody's i say nobody's doing but we aren't doing as often we just assume that somebody doesn't agree with us so they must have malicious intent they're an idiot we dehumanize them which is all bullshit. we shouldn't be dehumanizing people and we should also consider that they have this point of view or this opinion because of a life spirit experience that they had growing up that they had, I, I, you know, we have a lot of, of, folks in my community that came from shitty home situations, right. Um, whether it was abusive fathers or alcoholic mothers or, or whatever, right. I grew up with a fantastic family. Like I had mentioned beforehand, um, you know, I, I cannot relate to that necessarily, but I want to, I try, I, I, I try and be empathetic with that because I want to, I want to know, I don't necessarily want to experience that. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't experience that. But at the same time, like that helped shape that person. I know I talked to a guy, he, unfortunately he didn't get picked up to, to do this job, but he was homeless out in Tampa. Yeah. Like, and, and he took him, you know, and he's a 17 year old. He was living under a bridge in Tampa and he took himself to the recruiter. And was like, I've got to do something with my life. I don't want to end up being homeless forever. He took himself to the recruiter. He joined up. He trained his ass off. Being homeless, he trained his ass off, you know, you know would earn money, got, got a gym membership and then joined the air force and completely changed the trajectory of his life. Yeah. Like. I love that. That's awesome. So, but now his supervisors are now his, uh, wherever he's working, I think he's working in the medical career field. Like he may or may not tell them his, his, uh, his story, you know? But imagine the perspective that he has that would be so different to mine. Yeah. You know, but we've got to respect that. And we have to understand that any opinions that he may have are rooted in his life experiences, so that was a roundabout question since you hit me with that out of nowhere. <laughs> no, I
0: love that actually. That's that's one of the things that I I love about kind of talking with people is the different perspectives, right? Like listening and asking those questions and looking at it in a very non-judgmental way and just being like, I can't even understand, but like, yeah share with me teach teach me right because like it helps me right like I mean it's it's a little altruistic right and getting it getting that information out there but also selfish because it's like how can I take what you've experienced not have to experience it for myself but apply it in my day-to-day life too yep which is fun and it's it's weird because like you know I do the pot this podcast for fun my job is completely outside, like outdoor shooting. So it's kind of fun when I learn these lessons, kind of in this arena, and then you take them elsewhere. It's just kind of the dynamic is is kind of fun, but <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> it's it, uh, you you can learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's true.
0: But anyways, man, um, I think my last question, and maybe maybe another uh, another zinger, is there anything that you wish you would have known going into whether that's the Air Force. Um, instructing, starting once ready, anything like that, that you're like, man, this would have helped me that somebody out there might benefit from.
1: Yeah, I wish I had invested in Bitcoin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Or
1: GameStop. (laughs) 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 So I not necessarily because uh, I trust the process, really, right? Like you, like I talked about earlier, you don't understand why they're putting you through this whatever it is you think is picking on you. You're like, what's the point of this? But there's a reason behind a lot of this stuff that we do. Um, that's not to say that, oh, well, we've always done it this way. So this is the right way. No, that's because that's a bullshit answer. Uh, if somebody asks why for something, like you should, you know, tell them why. And then if they have a good idea, like entertain that idea. Um, so I didn't really answer your question, but I, there's nothing... <laughs> There's nothing really that I can think of that um, I wish I had known just because I've had such a good time doing this for the last 23 years.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Jared, once again, man, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I enjoy chatting, and I hope everybody listening, I hope you took some good information away, uh, maybe got some uh, good insight, or uh, maybe uh, feel the need to go jump out of plane, swim, get drowned in the water uh, when you're doing some of your snorkeling drills. But otherwise, I hope you all have a great week. Uh, like I said in the beginning as well, uh, have a great Memorial day. And, uh, you know, uh, if you feel the need to reach out to anybody, hit me up and I would love to chat with you get you connected in whatever way that I can. Uh, and just remember that there are people out there that want to see you happy, healthy and uplifted, but otherwise you all have a wonderful week and, uh, we'll catch you next time.